Welcome to The V-Hive, a platform focused on women's intimate health. With weekly episodes from the field's top practitioners, we discuss all of the things you've always thought about but never wanted to talk about. On this podcast, we are making the highest quality information on the most beloved part of your body accessible, understandable, and implementable. I'm your host, Hannah Matluck, and I started this platform as a result of my own experience with chronic pelvic pain. Throughout the years I spent healing my body, I became overwhelmingly interested and passionate about these topics and have made it my mission to create awareness and education on the complexities of the female body. Hi guys, happy Wednesday. Before we get into this week's episode, I just wanna quickly share with you all that you can become a member of the VHive. There are three different membership levels. The lowest level is only $2.99 a month and that gives you access to a bonus Ask Me Anything episode where you can send in your questions and I will do an episode at the end of every month specifically for the subscribers answering all of your questions and it's just a great way for us to be able to engage and communicate more so i'm excited to be able to do this and to provide you guys with this additional content i hope that this is something that you find interesting and by becoming a member you're also supporting the vhive and our mission and really helping us to be able to continue to grow and expand this platform and just provide this information to women across the world. So if you want to become a member, you can go to www.thevhive.com backslash memberships. Today I am here with this amazing woman named Kitty Pert, who is 29 years old and she lives in Brighton in the United Kingdom. So we actually connected through Instagram about a year ago um, when I first had Nicole Sachs on the podcast talking about her work and how she helps people heal chronic pain. And Kitty reached out to me and was like, thank you for, you know, spreading the word about Nicole's work. I completely healed myself from her work. This is so important. And fast forward a year later, I started doing the work myself and have realized how amazing and life-changing it is and have been, as many of you know, have been posting more and sharing more about Nicole's work and other women who women who have healed through Nicole's work. So Kitty reached back out to me and was like, this is awesome. Thank you again for talking about this. Um, and as I've been realizing how important it is and how many of you I believe could benefit from doing this work I really want more women to come on the podcast who have healed from Nicole's work so now we are here today with Kitty she is going to share her story with 
pelvic pain, vulvodynia, IC, endometriosis, fibromyalgia, anxiety, like you name it. She overcame all of it through Nicole's work. After 10 years of medical interventions, nothing was helping her. And she finally figured out that, you know, she had all the power within herself to heal her body. And she did. And she's so passionate about spreading awareness on this topic as well. So I'm so grateful to have you here today. And I also just want to say how cool it is that this episode, you know, you're in London, you're in, you're in the United Kingdom. I'm in, in New York. And prior to the coronavirus, I was only doing episodes in person in New York City. So I am very grateful for the opportunity to now be able to speak to women across the world. I think that this is so cool and just brings so many more people's stories to light. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I am very, very excited for everyone to hear your story. So I guess we should just start by you sharing more about your journey with pelvic pain and what the process looked like in terms of your symptoms, your healing, and then finally coming across Nicole's work and using that as the method that really allowed you to heal. Sure. Okay, so I guess my story is a bit complicated, but it first started in 2009, so I was 19. And as you've been talking with Whitney and with your own um, solo episode and with Nicole, TMS is all about unrepressed or unexpressed emotions showing up in the body and in strange and, and difficult ways. And it's, it's no coincidence to me that my symptoms started after a really terrible period um, in my personal life. So 2009, my eldest brother passed away he took his own life and I was at that time in a really difficult relationship Um, and I didn't quite realize how bad it was while I was in there and shortly after I broke up with my boyfriend at the time and a few months after my brother had passed away I got a UTI and you know many of us our stories start with a UTI or a yeast infection or something quite mundane Mm -hmm. to begin with Um, so I had this UTI, I took the antibiotics, I went to the doctor and it just didn't quite go away. And eventually it led to a kidney infection and I had to go to accident and emergency here in the UK. And they gave me the antibiotics, the infection cleared up, but I was left with this, um, sort of burning urethral pain. It was so acute, so sharp, and it was terrifying because it was all-consuming. I mean, anyone that's had any bladder-related stuff will know just your your brain just fixates it on it all mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. Um, so I went to the doctor again. They tested my urine. They said, you know, there's no infection, but why don't you see a urologist and they'll be able to try and help you. So they booked me in to see a urologist um, and I was booked in for a flexible cystoscopy and I was terrified I was 19 this nothing like this had ever happened to me before and I was also quite at that point ashamed of my body you know I found it really 
really scary to get undressed and be so vulnerable in front of people as well. So that was adding to my anxiety and I'm sure it was making my symptoms worse. Um, and I saw the urologist and he said, we're going to have to do a flexible cystoscopy on you where they put a camera into your bladder um, and you're going to be awake for the procedure um, because we need to know what's going on. So I kind of agreed to it, but I was really frightened going into it. And unfortunately, I just had a really awful time in the procedure. Um, I, it was so painful. I, I begged this man to stop and he wouldn't stop. I had three nurses holding my shoulders down. I tried to get up off the operating bed um, while it was happening and they wouldn't they wouldn't stop the procedure. They just kind of said, oh, you're being silly, stop it. And I was crying. Um, and I think they found something in my bladder. I kind of remember them finding an ulcer or something similar, but I was so traumatized by the event. I said to this doctor afterwards, you're not coming anywhere near me. He wanted to do a biopsy and I just said, absolutely not. And I turned around to my mum and I was in tears and I just said, I'm not going to see another doctor. I'm just going to live with this. And I did. And mm -hmm. so for a few years, I just, I just lived with this sort of urethral discomfort and it ebbed and flowed and eventually it went away. But I didn't at that time know anything about IC or bladder diets. So I didn't have that level of fear that I think sometimes those restrictions can put on your life. And mm -hmm. I just got on with things. I ate what I wanted. Um, I was kind of young in my 20s having the time of my life I was in a band at the time as well so I had lots of good distractions and eventually the IC went away but I started having other pelvic symptoms so I would have kind of irregular bleeding and bleeding after sex and in 2014 so I was 24 um I went to the doctors and I just said something's not right here this is really peculiar my periods are really heavy and I I'm a bit frightened because when I went to Dr. Google which we should never never do never never um it kept coming up as ovarian cancer different kind of cancers and so my mum paid for me to see a private consultant gynecologist mm -hmm. and you know I'm so lucky to live in the UK where our healthcare is free but that does mean there can be a bit of a wait and I was really worried and so was my mum so we paid to see her and within about a 10 minute conversation and I told her all my history and she said I suspect you have endometriosis interstitial cystitis and when she tried to do a pelvic exam on me she said um you've got vaginismus oh gosh, vulvodynia, vestibulitis, all of these things. Mm -hmm. And it, it was really shocking. Um, but she did the laparoscopy on me, my first of six laparoscopies I've had. Um, and she also, while I was under general anaesthetic, she performed a bladder distension um, to check my bladder. And at the end of the surgery, when I woke up, she said, right, you've got stage four endometriosis, so the worst stage. I suspect you've got adenomyosis, um, confirmed interstitial cystitis, and vulvodynia, and I think something else. And during that surgery, she also did some Botox injections to help with the muscles. Mm -hmm. um, 
Oh, gosh, what else? And I think she was really trying to get me to take all the hormonal medications for endometriosis. And some of them I just really wasn't interested in. You know, there's chemo drugs that you can use for endo. Um, and she also wanted me to take amitriptyline. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it can work great for some people, but there was just a little voice in my head saying, just don't don't take it. Yeah. Um, but what I was reliant on for... The 10 years the whole of my 20s was very high levels of painkillers so I was on about 230 milligrams of codeine a day just to just to function mm-hmm. um so after that operation leading up to um last year 2019 I had six further laparoscopies because the endometriosis was so aggressive um and it was all a kind of similar story. I got pressured into having the marina coil against my judgment for myself. I just felt it wasn't the right thing to do, but they really wanted me to have that. So I, I agreed to have it put in. Um, and then, like many women, found that all of a sudden I had this anxiety out of nowhere that was becoming really life-changing. Um, and... So my last surgery was March of last year and I begged my consultant who was one of the top surgeons in England and UK for endometriosis to take out the marine coil. I just said, I'm, I'm not interested anymore. I want this thing out. And he agreed to do it. Um, so I think my surgery was scheduled for December 2018 and I'd arrived at the hospital that day and I had a flu and so they wouldn't perform the surgery. And then it got rescheduled to February, rescheduled again to a later date. But for whatever reason, they kept having to cancel and reschedule. So by the time my surgery rolled around in March, I was so anxious. I think I was just living on stress hormones Mm -hmm. and anxiety. You know, I'd gone through it um, and a laparoscopy recovery five times at this point so I kind of knew what I was in for and because my endometriosis was so extensive I knew that recovery was going to be quite difficult and I was really anxious for this surgery because my uh, consultant said there's endometriosis on your bladder and so I'm going to need to tidy that up and I was so worried it was going to start off these icy urethral symptoms again because my bladder really had been great. Mm. I, I, I went to the loo a bit more than most people, but I wouldn't say I had frequency at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't taking anything for my bladder. I wasn't on a special diet or anything like that. So I went into the operation with a lot of fear and I wasn't really very happy or confident with the doctors after the experience I had with 2000 and, in 2009 and feeling like I was pressured into treatments. So um, I had the surgery in March last year and I woke up and I felt pretty good considering it was such a big operation. I had a big cyst on my right ovary. They managed to to get rid of that and my surgeon was really happy with how the operation had gone. But then he came round when I was recovering and said, I'm actually retiring tomorrow, so I'm passing all of your case on to this other consultant I'd never met before, and he will now be in charge oh of your gosh. care. 
so that wasn't reassuring but I thought oh well I'm feeling fine I can go to the loo which was the main thing I was worried about you know being able to wee in hospital um and for the first week recovery went pretty well you know I was feeling okay and then everything just kind of hit the fan and I'm not quite sure how it got so bad but it started with that urethral burning feeling coming back and after 10 years it it came back and I just knew that feeling and I just freaked out and um, I rang up my doctors and I said I'm a week post-op from a huge operation I think I've got a UTI I can't remember what this feels like I want some antibiotics and they didn't test my we or anything they just um, prescribed me antibiotics over the phone I took that lot it didn't work and I was getting more and more anxious and wound up and I then had started to have really weird reaction to the codeine I'd been taking for 10 years and it started making me have quite bad panic attacks and feeling sick so now I was too frightened to take any painkillers recovering from a really extensive operation um and just trying to figure out what was going on. Mm-hmm. And so my GP prescribed me another course of antibiotics and then maybe even a third course. So I'd taken quite a lot. Um, and then I just started getting all these really weird pelvic symptoms. And it started as kind of like a, a buzz in my pelvis that it eventually grew to such bad vulvodynia unprovoked vulvodynia that I couldn't actually sit down I could either stand up or lay down I couldn't really concentrate on anything I couldn't sit on the sofa I I had no form of pain relief still recovering from this operation Um, and I don't know if anyone has had a marina coil removed but some women um, experience the marina crash which is when all your hormones kind of have to sort themselves back out Mm-hmm. and I just felt like I was losing my mind and I was getting nowhere with my doctors and I went to see the consultant that was now in charge of my case so the one that was present at the surgery and I explained everything to him and he just said you know I've, I really don't know why this is happening um, it shouldn't have been as a result of your operation. And he was so dismissive and so nonchalant. I just thought, God, I can't see you again. You're not helping. And I was in that complete fear cycle that I think so many of us with pelvic pain get into where we're just like, this isn't working. I need the next thing and the next yeah. thing and the next doctor and the next doctor will have the answer I need and the next doctor. Um, and so that led to me going to accident and emergency where they did finally test my urine and by now my symptoms my bladder symptoms were full-blown UTI discomfort pain um you know crying when you're on the toilet kind of thing and needing to go all the time tested my urine no bacteria present would not prescribe antibiotics kind of said away you go so then I started going back to Dr Google and even though I couldn't I could hardly sit down. I got on a train up to London and I went and paid to see one of the top IC specialists in Harley Street um, who treats interstitial cystitis with long-term antibiotics. And I just yeah. thought, yes, this has got to be What's his it. name? Professor Malone Lee. Yeah, uh-huh. So 
so I did his treatment protocol. I think I lasted about two, three weeks. And then I started getting the vulvodynia even worse. It was so painful. You know, it was... I could hardly move or talk or anything. And then I looked at the side effects to the antibiotics that he'd prescribed. And one of the top listed side effects was genital pain. Oh, my Um, God. So I just thought, right, stuff this. I can't trust you anymore. So I can't trust the doctor that is in charge of my case after my surgery. And I can't trust you. So now I just go and pay to see specialists until someone can tell me what on earth was going on and i just want to quickly say that i've gotten so many messages from people telling me to look into him and his protocol and to be honest i have heard several stories of bad outcomes yeah it's so expensive too i mean relative to the uk he's very expensive yeah um i found him very professional I saw his son as well very professional very nice um I know someone actually that's following his protocol and it's worked fabulously for them Uh but um the way he works is I think they work by the number of bacteria in your urine so they test it quite differently and when they tested my urine there wasn't actually that much bacteria present there was a normal amount but he said we're going to treat you anyway because of your symptoms Uh uh-huh Um, yeah, so I stopped doing his treatment protocol, antibiotics at this point, I'd been on so many different courses that I was just so freaked out by the thought of even taking them anymore. I think I got quite a bad thrush Mm -hmm. infection just from taking them. And I was so in so much pain from my bladder now that I went straight on the IC diet to such a degree, I lost two stone in about eight weeks. Um, and my mental health was just deteriorating so rapidly. I mean, I was 29 by this point, um, and, oh, sorry, I was 28, and I was having convulsive panic attacks in my mum's bed because I just thought, my life's over. I'm in so much pain. I can't do anything. I can't move. I'm not going to be able to work. And, you know, this whole fear was just taking over like a dark cloud in my whole life. And I think I saw three other specialists um, and all of them just said, look, well, we, we can try and give you some drugs, but we've no idea what's happened. I eventually got my theatre notes from the surgery and they didn't tally with what my original surgeon said. So my surgeon said he was going to remove endo from my bladder which would kind of make sense in my head why my bladder flared up so much, but the theatre notes said my bladder wasn't touched. So everything was so confusing and I had nowhere to go for information. Um, I went to my GP and just said, look, I'm losing my mind. I, I, my mental health so bad about this. I'm not sleeping um, and I've lost two stone in eight weeks. And he just said, well, it sounds like what you're eating is healthy, so I'm just going to give you some sleeping tablets and uh, mm. just go away and, and have some sleep. So I just felt like the medical community had turned their back on me completely. Mm. And the last um, specialist gynae I paid to see, and gosh, must have spent about 
£2,000, which is in England is a lot, mm-hmm. you know, when our healthcare is free, to see these specialists. And she was about the fourth person to say, I think you should try amitriptyline for your nerve pain. You know, it really help your vulvodynia. And eventually, I just gave in. Mm-hmm. And... I think she prescribed me the lowest dose, and by this point, I had such fear of taking tablets um, that I took half of the lowest dose. Mm-hmm. And the next day, I just felt like my drink had been spiked. I felt so woozy and all over the place. And I don't know if you want to beep this out. I don't know if you do swearing, but I just thought in that moment, fuck this. Mm-hmm. This is ridiculous. I am not seeing another doctor ever again. I am not taking another tablet. I'm not having another surgery. This is ridiculous, and I've had enough. And I think it was my birthday, my 29th birthday, a few days later, and I remember so clearly looking up at the moon just thinking, if I can't sit down by Christmas, if I can't start enjoying my life, I don't want to live anymore because I was just so suicidal I was in so much pain, nothing was helping. I couldn't, by this time, my vulvodynia was so bad, it was even when I was walking around, it was really painful. Just that constant burning. I couldn't wear knickers at all. Um, It was really bad. And so I just had that complete moment of, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not running around like a headless chicken, chasing doctors, trying to figure out what's happened because what's happened has happened and I can't change that. So, and I don't want to take these tablets anymore. I've got no other choice but to find something else. Mm -hmm. And I think very shortly after that, I was on one of the Facebook vulvodynia forums, which I absolutely do not recommend anyone going on ever. But what was amazing is I saw a post from this girl in Australia who said it in a really nice way. It wasn't pushy, but she just said, I've just discovered the work of Nicole Sachs and, you know, it might help some other people. And I think she had symptoms quite similar to mine, maybe not to the same extent. And I just was so desperate. I thought, what the hell? I've got got nothing to lose, so I'm going to give it a go. And I started off um, watching Nicole's YouTube videos, I think, because she, she was quite active on YouTube at the time. And she goes through the whole thing. So she goes through her journey with, I can't, I can never say her back. Is she spondylolisthesis? Spon- yes, uh huh. Um, so she went through the whole thing and how she cured herself and this idea of TMS that at the time I still wasn't sold on because I'd been medicalized for 10 years. Um, and you know always followed the people in white coats and what they said was right so this idea of repressed emotion causing pain in the body was quite strange to me but you know I just surrendered to it I had nothing left to lose so I started a journal speak practice which was quite funny because I could hardly sit down Mm -hmm. Um, but I just made myself do it for 20 minutes every day and I think what one of the first things that really came to my attention was in all of the months that I had been running to the doctors from doctor to doctor to try and figure out what was wrong and I just wanted so badly for someone to say to me you're going to be okay and this is what's happened one of the first big realizations I had through Nicole's work was 
I just wanted someone to listen. But what I actually needed was I needed to listen to myself. Mm. And I had this huge kind of epiphany at that moment, just thinking, gosh, this has been so tough and I've completely ignored myself in this. I've just pushed myself through these surgeries, through bad relationships, through grief for my brother. Um, Whilst I was having these surgeries for endometriosis in my 20s, I did a degree and a master's and I was such a perfectionist, you know, only A grades would do and I just pushed and pushed myself to the point where I was broken by the time I had my operation in March and I, I was very unwell, I was on disability um, and within 28 days, and I know it's 28 days because I was um, counting the files on my computer, I was saving them as day one, day two, within 28 days, the vulvodynia had completely gone of Nicole's course. Um, sorry, not Nicole's course, of doing Nicole's work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just amazed, and no one really That's believed me so either. crazy. So I was still in a bit of disbelief, but... Um, as Nicole says, suspend your disbelief. Um, so I couldn't quite, you know, I, I, I knew it worked, but I, I still kind of had doubts, I guess. Right. And the people around me just thought I had lost my mind. They, you know, they just thought you are so unwell and now you're just writing a journal <laughs> and doing some meditation. You know, what are you doing? Go to a hospital. And oh. I, I think... Everyone just thought I'd lost it completely, but I started to believe more and more in the work I was doing. I yeah. was really committed to doing it. And I know um, one of the, the questions people have around it is, how do you stay committed to doing the work? Yeah, and I want you to talk about that for a bit because a lot of people have been asking me that. I know a lot of people ask Nicole that. I'm sure people who you speak to ask you that and... I think that you could probably give a better answer than I could. Um, I think in the beginning it was, I was, you know, Nicole always says you've got two choices to do something Mm -hmm. out of love and something out of fear. Mm -hmm. I think in the beginning I was doing it out of fear because I had nothing else. I had nothing, nowhere else to turn to. My, my only option was to do this work and hoped that I could see results. And then when my pain started going away, I just thought, oh my God, this does work. And, and because I wasn't working at the time, I had the luxury of a whole day to plan half an hour into. Um, and now I realize it's a bit more tricky when you've got to put half an hour in your day. But in the beginning, my, my motivation was really good because I was doing the work, the work was paying dividends, I was listening to your podcast and I was listening to Nicole's podcast and a few others that I can talk about at the end and it just kind of spurred me on you know these people have healed and even though they weren't talking about pelvic pain healing they still had some really awful stuff going on so Mm -hmm. there's hope there's hope for me in it yeah and um the other thing that kind of spurred me on was that I was having these huge realizations of how upset my my sort of inner child was how much of a tough time I've had as a kid I always kind of describe my childhood growing up that neither my parents me or my brother got out of that unscathed I think it was really difficult in different ways for all of us and so there was so much 
upset and hurt and anger I had that I found the journaling just released so much of it. But then towards the end of summer, I started feeling so much better. I had slight bladder frequency, a bit of urgency, but I was feeling really good and I was feeling like a different person. And so I stopped doing the work so religiously and it kind of dropped off from every day to every other day. And I was feeling well enough that I applied for a job and I went back to work, which was just unbelievable for me. I could sit down. I had no pain. It was it was really good. Um, and my mental health was getting better and better. The work and the meditation had sort of taught me how to relax because I'd always describe myself as someone that I just don't know how to relax. Mm-hmm. My body doesn't do it. And um, because through the meditation, I had to come back into my body. I'd been living in my head yeah. for so long, come back into my body, just ground myself. And eventually by about, September or maybe a bit later October I stopped doing the work because I was thinking oh I feel great I feel Mm -hmm. fantastic um I got out of a long-term relationship in um November time that I through journaling actually I realized was very unhealthy and I think had been making my symptoms a lot worse Mm. in particular I couldn't have sex Mm -hmm. since the operation it was just too painful. I was too fearful. Um, and so we ended it. And once we, I'd ended that relationship, you know, I felt nearly 100%. I felt fantastic. And so that led to a few months um, towards the end of last year and into this, this year of just living it up like I had never lived it up before. Um, and it was great. And then... I was working, I was um, working four days a week, um, which was really good for me. And then my symptoms started to come back a bit. Um, And I've started doing the work again. And um, they've completely receded. I've got a bit of bladder Mm -hmm. frequency. But that's all I'm dealing with. And it's to the point now where my blood is a bit frequent. It's not painful. It's just annoying. You know how you were saying in your solo episode. Uh Um, And the way I just deal with that is try not to freak out and Mm -hmm. just go, all right, I'm just feeling some emotions. I'm going to calm down. And um, Dan Buglio is someone that I follow on YouTube on his Pain Free You. And he always talks about radical acceptance. You've just got to accept the symptoms, but not fight against them. Mm-hmm. That's and a huge, a huge away. thing. Yeah. And now the way I do journaling now is I wake up half an hour earlier. I go and feed the cats and I have a cup of hot water and I sit down and I do my journal speak straight away. Because if I don't do it as soon as I wake up, I don't do it that day. You know, I'm really glad you mentioned that. And I think that's a really good point because I noticed myself like, so I've done it every day for a month, I don't know, a month, month and a half, maybe even two months. I haven't really been keeping track, but like, so yesterday was the first day I didn't do it. And I realized I'm like, if I don't do this in the morning, the day just slips away. And before I know it, it's dinner. And then I want to go watch TV 
and then I want to go to sleep and I and I just didn't do it yesterday and sometimes if I have a lighter day I can make time for it in the afternoon but I really exactly what you said I really think that waking up a half hour earlier and just getting it done in the morning is the way to go yeah for sure I also if I leave it in the day I get really resentful towards it I get really annoyed by the fact I have to do it and I know something that Nicole always says is resistance towards doing the work resistance to it is part of the syndrome it's part of TMS it's Mm -hmm. your brain trying to protect you and it's so true um But what's quite interesting for me now is whereas before when I was doing the work um, mainly for the vulvodynia and I was really looking back on past things, childhood things, sexual trauma I had experienced, quite a lot of the time now what I'm writing about is the medical trauma just from this this period of time I've gone through. And I know in your episode with Whitney, either she or you talked about this idea that being medicalized and and being in chronic pain for so long can be traumatizing as well Mm -hmm. and that's definitely what I'm writing about currently yeah and then a question I have for you is and this is also a question that you know when I did the Instagram live with Nicole a bunch of people were sending in this same question and I just hear it a lot but are there some days where you And I mean, even for myself, like I have this question, but are there some days where you don't have, and I discussed this with Whitney, but are there some (laughs) days where you just don't have that much to write about or where your journal speak isn't so emotional, isn't so deep, and you just kind of feel like, oh, you know, I don't really have anything deep to release today. And like, what does that look like for you? Yeah, for sure. I think initially, you know, Nicole says, do your lists. So I think it's childhood, daily life, and something else I can't remember. The three um, personality. Yeah, personality. So in the beginning, when I was just picking things off my list, I found that quite good because they were the heavy hitters. But mm-hmm. I've kind of done that now. And so, yeah, I do have days sometimes where I'm writing going, I'm just writing, I think, for the sake of it. And I don't feel like I'm getting very far doing this. But then, you know, I'll be pondering about what I've written later in the day and something will pop into my head and I'll think, oh my God, I need to write about that tomorrow. That's actually what this has led led to. So the filler filler days, which I call them, Mm -hmm. tend to, for me anyway, to lead to bigger insights maybe the next time um but also I found that even if I'm having a few days or maybe a couple of weeks or so where I'm not having the emotional epiphanies I once was it keeps me in the practice of doing a journal speak every day Mm -hmm. and I think that's important for me anyway I can get very lazy very quickly and just give up so no that's a real that's another really good point and I've been having the same experience where some days if I don't have something bigger to write about, I've noticed, which is really cool, and this is, you know, I I think the same thing that you're saying is that the journal speak practice for me has allowed me to become much more 
aware of my thoughts and my feelings. So even if, you know, for if something happens one day and usually you would just, oh, you're like, oh, that upset me. Someone says something to you don't like and you're like, oh, that upset me. But I'm just going to ignore it, forget about it and go go about my day. Instead, I'm like, oh, I should write about this tonight or tomorrow or whenever. And so I think that instead of because things happen every day where, you know, we might not like the way someone talks or an email that we get or a situation that we saw on the news or, you know, whatever it is. But we don't really we repress it all. So I think that what the practice allows you to do it and, you know, you made a amazing point by saying it. it's not that every day needs to be some huge epiphany but it's the act of just continuing to stay in the habit of it and the routine of it and then becoming more aware and in tune with your thoughts and your emotions and then being able to then have this outlet where you're like instead of repressing that sadness I felt or that anxiety that I felt I now have this place and this tool where I can release it and so I think that that is, you know, actually the perfect answer to the question, what if I don't have things to write about? Like, it's okay if some days you don't have a huge thing to write about. And it's okay, as you said, if you, if some weeks you don't have something huge to write about. But it's just the act of continuing to do it and continuing to be mindful of the way that certain situations make you feel so that when something does come up, you have an outlet to release those emotions. Yeah, absolutely. It's I kind of just see it as it's holding space for yourself every day mm-hmm. and, and giving yourself the freedom to be able to say if something's really pissed you off because I've come to realise about myself that I get really pissed off about really minute things. Oh, so do I. Matter. So do I, I no, all the time. I have no idea. But, you know, everyone would describe me or everyone describes me as really laid back you know quite quite chilled out all the time no one really ever sees me get angry no one's ever heard me shout and I realized that it's just because I hold all that in but I'll get annoyed at someone even looking at me funny if I'm walking down the street and I just have no idea Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so some days I'll even do a journal speak practice and at the end of it I just think why am I even annoyed about this? This is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but I do feel better after after it. And I also find that whereas before things would kind of sit in my head and I'd ruminate about them, if someone had been mean or said something I didn't like, I would go over and over it like, for the whole day. But with a journal speak in the morning, I feel like it fades away into the background. By the afternoon, I've forgotten about it. That is so true. And like 100% that's I think probably one of the most amazing things that I've noticed is that when I do have something on my mind that makes me upset or angry or whatever the feeling or emotion is after I journal speak about it it kind of leaves my body and I like feel lighter instead if I didn't journal speak about it I would probably carry that frustration with me definitely for the rest of the day probably for the following day as well so I I think that that is also a really important point 
And then I have one other question I want. Well, I have two questions. The first question is something, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, but something that I've noticed recently is once in a while I'll have a bad dream or, you know, whether it's a bad dream or a nightmare, whatever you want to call it. And I notice that those bad dreams are really coming from fears that I have in my life. And they're subconscious, obviously, because I'm having them in my dreams, but they're coming from past situations that I clearly have repressed fears about. So something that I've been doing is as soon as I wake up, even if in the past I haven't been journal speaking in the morning, as soon as I wake up, I'll just make a note on my phone about the dream that I had and I will write about that in my journal speak that day and I think that that's really important as well because those dreams have been like sending me messages of things I need to address so I don't know if you have had similar experiences but I've been finding that really interesting I I find that really really fascinating because I haven't done that but when I started getting better and I was um doing Nicole's work I ended up buying her course actually Mm -hmm. yeah Um, so did I I I am in the UK there's an organization called SIRPA which is S-I-R-P-A and it's run by Georgie Oldfield and she's someone that's kind of in the UK TMS community and Mm -hmm. I had a free hour phone consultation with her um, because I just wanted to check my symptoms for TMS you know yeah yeah running to a different type of doctor um and she actually said one of the things you need to do is write down your dreams because interesting Uh uh-huh it's your subconscious it's it's relaxed and it will be bringing things to the foreground that maybe consciously you don't want to think about so you push Mm -hmm. them down but when you're asleep it's going to come up and I had quite a few dreams where they were quite violent and I was quite fearful and during that time I was doing some work with my therapist on some sexual trauma I had had experienced so I definitely think dreams are related Mm -hmm. and I should I should write down dreams now it'd be really (laughs) interesting to see what comes out yeah for me it's like so crazy because usually I'll just wake up and I don't get them often but I've actually noticed that when I take, have you heard of melatonin? It's like a natural. Yeah. So when I take melatonin for some reason, I get weird dreams and I've noticed that pattern. So I don't know what the connection is or why that happens. But, you know, usually instead of just waking up and being like, oh, I had a bad dream last night and moving on, I'll like actually sit in bed. I'll think about it. I'll be like, what? Like, where is this coming from? Like, I'll remember something that happened in the dream and I'll be like, where is this coming from? Like, let me just sit down for a few minutes and think about this. And then I'll write down like my thoughts in, in, in my notes and my phone and, and I'll journal about it. And it's really interesting to like be able to get to a place where you're able to realize like, Oh, I actually, if I think about it, I know why I had that dream, like from something that happened years ago, but like, it's still there and it's so crazy I do find that through this through this work I'm only just starting to find out who I am Mm -hmm. it's just those kind of connections that you can make whereas there was there was no opportunity to do that before yeah no it's so true and it's so fascinating once you start doing it I mean you've 
been doing it much longer than I have, but you know, even in the short period of time I've been doing it, I have clearly become so passionate and interested in it. And I like beg everyone listening to go do it because I really think it will change all of your lives. And I'm so grateful that you took the time to come on the podcast today and be so open and so vulnerable and share your amazing story. And I mean, like every second of it, I was just like, this is going to resonate with so, so closely with so many people because, you know, even though all of our stories are so different, I really believe that they're all so similar and we all know the feelings of having bladder and vaginal and, and sexual pain, discomfort, sensations, like if you've, if one person, like if you've had it and I've had it, we know the feeling. And it's like, no matter where it came from or how long it was there for, like, it still feels the same. And I think that just having you share your story and how Nicole's work helped you so, 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 so much is going to help so many people listening. So thank you so much. And I want to, the last question I want to ask you is, looking back on your entire journey and everything that you experienced and being in a place now where you feel good and you have a clear head and you can see the light, you are the light now, what advice or insights can you share with the people listening who are not able to see the light yet and who are still going through the darker parts of this journey I think I think maybe one of the biggest things I've taken away from my experience is stop fighting and listen to that voice that inner wisdom that we have inside us that that normally will steer us to the right to what we need and on the right path so I I knew that I shouldn't be taking all the tablets and and have the marina coil or whatever. I knew that inside me and I ignored it because I just thought these people know better than me. And I wish I had surrendered a bit sooner. I wish I'd kind of put up my white flag and gone, okay, I need to stop this ride that I'm on and, and try something different, try something gentler and not just push myself through all these really invasive treatments that I didn't need to have I mean the the proof's in the pudding I haven't even taken so much as a paracetamol since June last year and I've still got adenomyosis Mm -hmm. I've still got endometriosis to a lower stage and you know I've got periods now and I don't even have to take anything for it And I know there's a bit of a debate about whether endometriosis and adenomyosis can be considered TMS when there's, you know, it's a very physical disease. But I listened to a really interesting podcast and I can't quite remember where I heard it, but it was someone saying that, you know, there's an awful lot of women with endo and adenomyosis 
who who got it, but they had no idea until they tried to have a baby or something because they're pain free. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then you don't need to be in pain, and it could be considered TMS. Mm-hmm. And you know that's a bit controversial. I'm sure some people listening might not agree with that, but that's just my two cents. Yeah. And and the other thing is, I really like what Nicole says when she says that the only way out is through. Mm. So you start doing the work and it could be quite difficult or you have a flare up and you freak out and I just try and remember that and it's so true because I can I now I met someone new in in January and I have a very active sex life and I never thought that would have been possible that's pain free That's um, so amazing. So just to anyone who's who's really struggling just I would I would urge you, you've got nothing to lose. The information for this way of healing is completely free. And then it's your choice if you wanted to buy Nicole's book or or her course. Mm -hmm. Um, You've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. And I think it's so funny when Nicole says she's, she comes with a pain back guarantee so if it if it doesn't work for you you can have your pain back you can go back to the doctors and and keep running but but I think we all owe it to ourselves to to give it a go Mm -hmm. and you know if you give it a go for three months or something and, and you don't find it helps which I would be so surprised if you didn't but then you you can always go back to what you were doing before right and I'm not on a restrictive diet anymore. I can eat whatever I want. I am very fond of anything with tomatoes in, which, <laughs> you know, 10 months ago would have just been unheard of. Uh-huh. Um, and the doctors, when I was seeing the doctors, they were all saying, oh, you're going to have this for the rest of your life, but just take these drugs and yeah. these drugs and do this and this. And it's it's all, it just wasn't true for me. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel like, you know, you knew that deep down and that's probably one of the things that led you to keep searching and fighting and you found this work, which wasn't a coincidence. And, and similarly, you know, to me, one of the initial doctors that I saw was like, oh yeah, you might have this forever. You might have to take antidepressants forever. And when she said that, I was just like, mm, I don't believe that to be true. Yeah. Yeah. So. For sure. Yeah. I think that, as you said, and as Nicole says, you know, you have your misery back or pain back guaranteed. So if you want it. So it's like, and, and in my eyes, what's the harm? You know, you spend 30 minutes a day writing and meditating and it's the least invasive thing you could ever do. It's not a medication. It's not a surgery. You don't have to spend any money on it. You don't have to go to an appointment. It's really simple. It's just the resistance. And if you can just use every ounce that you have in your body to fight the resistance and do the work, you'll start to feel better and you will be like, okay, I think the resistance will slowly decrease because you'll be like, this is actually really helping me. And one other thing that Nicole says that resonated with me is, and she says this a lot, but um, she says, you know, it's a choice. Life's a choice of what hurts and what hurts worse. So it's like, it could, it hurts to be in pain 
And it also hurts to take the time out of your day to do the journal speak and meditation, but you have to choose one or the other. So do you want to choose something that could help you or do you want to choose to not do it and continue to be in pain? And it's like knowing that you have the choice and knowing that they're both going to suck initially, but can you make the better choice, the one that hurts a little bit less and perhaps have a really great outcome from it, I think is a big piece of getting yourself to do it. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Also, just um, for anyone that might find resistance to be a real struggle, something that really spurred me on was trying to find time in my day to listen to one of the TMS-type podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um just just because it just gives you that extra bit of confidence in what you're doing and yeah this is what a real modality that people are using and so one of my favorites um is the mind and fitness podcast with eddie lindenstein um he's i think he's a athlete he does a lot of um crossfit is that Mm -hmm. a thing i don't know i'm not an athlete um (laughs) So he takes a different approach, and it's quite interesting hearing the approach from a male perspective as well. But he's so knowledgeable on, on this work and, um, you know, the different doctors who work, not just Nicole's um, methods. Mm-hmm. And I just find that listening to the podcast gives me that extra bit of, yep, this is the right thing to do. I feel better and and just reassures me that what I'm doing is is the best thing for my body. Mm-hmm. Are there any other resources, podcasts, books that have helped you? Um, yeah. So apart from that one with Eddie Lindenstein, Dan Buglio's pain-free you videos on YouTube. I think they're normally about 10 minutes long every morning. I like to have my breakfast with Dan. I just find <laughs> him very soothing as a person, you know. He uploads a new of... video every day? Yeah. Wow. I love and he's quite he's quite interactive and so you can leave him a little comment on the YouTube video and he's always so nice back. Um, and then Nicole's book I really liked, but I also liked um, Steve Ozanich's book, which is The Great Pain Deception. Oh, I just got that book in the mail. I'm excited yeah. to start it. Uh-huh. Don't get me wrong, it took me months to read because it's very dense. Yeah. You know, it's like the Bible of all of this work. Yeah. Um, but I found myself going through it with a highlighter and parts and just highlighting bits and coming back and reading it again. Mm-hmm. And in the back of his book, which I found really helpful, was a list of TMS equivalents. And it's not an exhaustive list, but it was really interesting. It's even got things like hay fever um, and it's got a, lots of bladder stuff that I highlighted when my brain just needs a bit of a reminder. Yeah, uh, Loads of stuff that I have had and it probably was all TMS Mm -hmm. um I had a lot of back pain whilst I was also in my 20s and that's gone now as well I don't have fibromyalgia anymore or ME which Mm -hmm. I've been diagnosed with um something else that I found really useful was on my phone I keep um in my notepad a page which is all of my TMS evidence so not just things that I've managed to do that I didn't think I'd be able to do, but if there's a particular podcast episode that really hits home or an article I 
I um, found really useful. I'll put it in there. And when I'm having the days, like everyone does, if our symptoms are a bit more um, powerful than what they usually are, or if I'm just having a bit of a doubtful day, I'll I'll flick through that and then it kind of puts me back on track and in the right mindset again to go, yep, TMS, it definitely is this. I'm doing the right thing mm-hmm. and then I'll calm down. Um, the other thing is um, I have got, um, I see an acupuncturist where I live who's very open to, to TMS way of treating. So he's a Eastern practitioner. Mm-hmm. Um but if I don't know if you wanted to share that in the show notes or something, yeah, and I definitely and my um my therapist is a specialist CBT trauma therapist. But when I found TMS work, she was really helpful and kind of a coach that it was new to her as well. But she could see how it all linked up, and I know some people really find a a specialist TMS therapist really helpful so Mm -hmm. I'm quite happy to share her details too yeah so I will you can just after this just send me the information of of them both of them and I'll put that in the show notes so if anyone lives in your area and wants to see them they will have access to their information and then lastly if anyone wants to contact you what is the best way for them to do that um, Instagram's probably the best way. I don't. Re- I have a Facebook, but I don't use it anymore. So okay. My Instagram, I think, is just Kitty underscore Pert or Kitty Pert, something like that. But yeah, if you want to talk anything, women's pelvic health or endo or I'm I'm TMS. I just pulled up your Instagram. It's Kitty K I T T Y underscore Pert P E R T. Yeah, and it would be great to hear from anyone if they just want some reassurance or they're really new on their journey. I mean, what was so helpful for me when I first got into TMS and I joined Nicole's Facebook group, I actually found Whitney on there. Mm-hmm. And um, gosh, this is this is like a year ago or something. And another lady was on there too. And they almost acted like a little coach for me. So I was so new to the work. I just needed to hear someone who had the same symptoms as me say it's going to be all right this is really helping so if I can do that for anyone I'd I'd really be honored to help you in your journey too you're amazing thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on here today I I mean hearing your story was amazing for me I feel so lucky that I get to do this and just have these conversations because they are incredible Um, And I hope that people start this work and connect with you because you are just such a huge, huge breath of fresh air, a light, a sense of inspiration. And it's stories like yours that I think will really, really change the the diagnosis of pelvic pain and, and related conditions, because I think that so many women with pelvic pain have TMS and need to know about this. So thank you again. This was amazing. Um, If anyone has any questions for me, you can always send an email to info at the vhive.com. And I check all of those emails and respond to all of them. So please send your thoughts, any questions you have for me. I always love hearing from you guys. And I think that's it. Thank you, Katie. <laughs> Thank you.
thank you so much this was wonderful and we need to stay in touch and just continue to keep each other updated and i hope that people reach out to you as well so thank you again thank you bye bye This podcast is for education purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other healthcare professional services, including the giving of medical advice. During the episodes, no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Listeners should seek the assistance of their healthcare provider for any concerns or questions they have.